Hello, I'm Lee Fueling, former coder at Century Video Games in Hialeah, Florida, and you're listening to the Ted Dabney Experience. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm Richard May, and I'm here as ever with Retro Gamer Magazine's Paul Drury. Hello. And the author of Missile Commander, a journey to the top of an arcade classic, Tony Temple. Hi. For this episode, we speak with Mr. Lee Fueling, not only a former coder at Century Video Games in Florida, a company known mostly for its licensed Japanese titles such as Track and Field and Phoenix, but also a real-life fighter jet and commercial airline pilot. Lee reminisces about his sadly unreleased but absolutely awesome sounding arcade game Freddy Flames and shares his many memories of Astarac and Fazul designer Tim Stryker, a bona fide tech visionary and utopian thinker who sadly took his own life in 1996. We do go long on Tim Stryker, which Lee was gracious and humble enough to accommodate, so you should definitely look him up. His life story is fascinating, especially his instigation of a super democracy movement which aimed to connect all Americans with cyberspace so they could vote on national policy, eliminating Congress, state legislatures, city councils and other systems. But that's obviously a story for another podcast. Before he went on to more cerebral things, Stryker also worked on an unreleased Century Vector title, Grab a Goose, which sounds like a hell of a lot of fun, and we discussed that too. As ever, thank you for listening. You can find all the usual social media links at tdepodcast.net. Hi, I'm Gary Vincent. And I'm Mike Stuhler. The Ted Dabney Experience podcast is brought to you in association with ACAM, the American Classic Arcade Museum. Visit ClassicArcadeMuseum.org to learn more about our collection and visit us in Laconia, New Hampshire. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, finally, we've all managed to synchronize our watches to make this happen. Um, before we get into it, let's talk, if you don't mind, about your formative years. I believe you're a child of the 60s, so your adolescence was presumably in sync with the particular area of technology that we focus on here. Yeah, I, I grew up in the 70s, and I do remember the beginnings of the, the video games, you know, when the first uh, Space Invaders came out, and, and then the coin-operated... Uh, era the the beginning of it yeah that was all mm. part of my formative experience as you say yeah and you grew up i mean you grew up <laughs> you know witnessing the moon landings yeah lots of changes in tv science fiction program you know the whole m many aspects of um many things were changing and uh and uh, sort of forming around this time yeah yep it was an amazing time it was an amazing time to grow up and uh it's it's incredible to look at the world today and think of how much it's changed and uh, that I can remember. And and especially with the computers, you know, I, I kind of, uh, you know, wax. Uh, I, I miss the, the computer uh, programming uh, yeah. aspect of my life. I kind of got out of it after uh, in the 90s uh, when I got into, into the Air Force. And uh, I really haven't kept up very well at all. I, I still code occasionally, um, but uh, not nothing like then. You know, back in these days, we were programming stuff. Uh, programming these 
systems in in assembly code slash machine language mm -hmm. and uh you know there was no compilation there was no libraries of of uh you know subroutines and things to to keep you going there was just whatever you wrote and uh it's changed a lot everything has changed significantly obviously in the in the well 40 years since right yeah and you you grew up in this era of um you know you sort of witnessed the emergence of consumer technology didn't you and would you say that shaped your view of the world during this time and and and, and, and informed your decisions as to what you wanted to do with your life when you were when you were a teenager wow uh you said it, you called it the coming of of what now consumer technologies which is yeah 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 it was kind of this you know the the mid 70s into right. into the early 80s i'm i'm assuming i mean what kind of age were you, for example, in 1975 or 76? Uh, I graduated from high school in 1980, and I worked at Century in, uh, I think, 83, 84 time frame. So something like that in my early 20s when I was at Century. So a, but a, um, a period of um, drastic change, of significant change? You know, I would have said, as far as that long ago times, um, not as much as even, you know, in the last 20 years. I'm, um for for me, I mean, things have obviously changed. I started programming computers before Century, and we had these huge, I don't know, foot and a half diameter uh, hard drives that at first had one meg of storage, and then the new ones came out and there were five megs of storage, and I was programming uh, old deck equipment mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, accounting things, uh, payrolls and accounts receivable, accounts payable, that type of thing. Yeah, we, 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 we'll, we'll delve into, sorry, sorry to kind of pull you sideways a little no, bit. No, no. We, we, We'll delve into that. Um, let let me shift gear slightly. You 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 eventually found yourself in Miami, obviously, and we'll get to that. But where where did you uh where did you grow up? Where did you where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in New Jersey, in northern New Jersey, and I grew up there uh, for the first nineteen years. And uh, I met my wife about eighteen years into that, and then I moved to North Miami Beach for that reason that I wanted to be closer to her. Yeah, sure. And tell us, tell us about how you. When did you first discover computers? I mean, was this at home? Was it high school? Yeah, I in high school I uh, took a computer class, which was basic programming, and it was a machine that you fed in punch cards, and it it gave you a one line uh, LED display for your output. Right. And then I got I had a job selling electronic parts so also in New Jersey and uh the owner of that company was, you know, into the new computer thing. Uh, I was still in high school so it was the late 70s. Um and when he found out that I was taking the class and I was interested, he kind of took me under his wing and showed me a, a bunch of things with those computers and then uh, I moved down to South Florida in in eighty one and uh, tell me tell me more about that job. Uh, which job? Oh, the first first computer job. You mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell that me more was, about that. That was a company called Systems Products International. It was down in down in Miami near the airport. Okay, and it was a, uh, a early computer uh, software company where people would come before there was anything off the shelf. There was just uh, again we would do all custom from start to finish, and um, yeah, and and that was in. Probably eighty into eighty one, beginning eighty two, and uh, that was all deck equipment, and that was the discs I was telling you about. They would the the computer systems at that time would sell. I think they were getting eighty thousand or hundred thousand dollars, half of it for hardware mm. and half of it for software that 
that yours truly produced. So yeah. I mean, you say say down near the Miami International, right? Just near the I ninety five, or yes, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I go there every year, so I'm kind of I'm I'm actually picturing it uh, vividly. Not obviously where you were working, but around that location. Right. It was on the uh, it was on the Palmetto Expressway side, but yep. I know it. I know so it. I was there for a year. Drove all the way down there to work, and then I got a second similar job just up the street with a friend of mine that I'd met at the first place, and it was from there that I. Uh, strolled into century one day how did a new jersey boy take to the miami heat uh, i loved it at that time i thought it was the greatest thing ever you know the palm trees and everybody wearing very little clothes all the time it was, it was wonderful um <laughs> okay but uh yeah i i just i i hated the jersey winners and i always wanted to move away from there anyway so as soon as i uh could i did sure sure so lee clearly you had a real affinity for computing and it's the industry, of course, that you went on to work in. So, so was it always your intention to pursue a programming career, or did, did things just kind of dovetail naturally as they tend to do, and it, you just kind of fell into it? Would you say? Yeah, the latter. I would say I, uh, I uh, really, I don't think I had a whole lot of real good idea what I was going to do at that time. Uh, I went to I went to school. I did all my college part time uh, while I was doing the programming stuff during the day. So that's actually. What got me into Century, I think, was I had been taking hardware and uh, assembly language programming and, and, you know, what happens in all the little gates and whatnot, those kind of classes. And I think that kind of helped me to qualify for, for the job at Century. That demanding very little pay. <laughs> your, your, and your early work, as you've alluded to earlier, involved um, programming accounting software. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I, I don't even remember again. There oh, really? was nothing okay. off the shelf. <laughs> Okay. There was nothing off the shelf, and it was really as simple as as recording the person's name, address, age, birthday, and all that kind of stuff. What his hourly wages were, and mm. I'm I'm making most of this up. Uh, but that was the general the general uh, gist of it. Was uh, again, they had payroll, they had accounts receivable that you know was all their all their clients would be. Uh, we had took all the data down. This was the early days. We would take all mm. the company mm. pertinent data in and and store it, and then. Yeah, just remember remember how much each company owed and when it was owed and, and those kind of things, you know, 30, 60, 90 days out uh, bills. Mm. And at, at, which, at which point you presumably thought, I really could put my computing, my programming skills, perhaps towards something more exciting like spaceships and aliens and yeah. things of that nature, I would assume. I think I started that. You know what? I, I left a part out. My brother, my older brother, had actually got us a computer. It wasn't a TRS-80. It wasn't uh, any of the popular ones. It was some no-name brand. All right. But again, a ba basic computer at home that I started doing some little video game-ish type stuff, you know, and then I don't remember what that was either, but. Uh, I still, when I play today, you know, I try to make uh, programs that do planets orbiting the sun or things like that. To, yeah, to yeah. Just, just fun kind of graphic things is, is what I enjoy. Hello, Lee. Um, I, I loved hearing the fact that you'd got some experience in sensible business software <laughs> and you were tinkering with a computer at home. However, it takes, uh, let's just say, quite a lot of balls to wander in to a company like uh, Century and announce you have arrived. Yeah. So, um, would were you a cocky young man, Lee? Uh, you know, I was. As you were saying that, I was going to come back and say I was twenty-two years old. So I think it was twenty-three. So uh, having a lot of balls, I think, is part of the, part of the resume <laughs> of everybody at that time. But yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I was confident and uh, and just I wasn't going to let 
you know, a, a, what I thought was a good opportunity passed by. And I don't remember how I found out Century was right down the street. I, I have a vague memory that I went there with one of the other computer programming companies, but I don't know why I would have done that unless uh, Century was a client of SPI or something like that. That would be, it'd be a stretch to think that was true, but I, I hmm. learned that it was there and then I thought, you know what, I want to do this. And so I walked up the stairs and in the door. And, and I want to know how they how they reacted that someone's literally walked off the street and well, said, you want to hire me? Actually, the, the one person that I met, the first person I met was Tim Stryker. And he was in there playing oh. uh, what at the time was called Zodiac. And uh, I walked through the door. And uh, again, this story has probably grown in my mind to more than it was. But uh, my memory of it is he kind of turned around and stretched his arms out in front of the screen so that I couldn't see what he was doing because it was still, a, you know, one of his, oh, so his just creation for, at that point. So, so our that, listeners know, well, is that Tim Stryker was a, a programmer at Century and went on to write Astorat, which I know Tony's going to ask you all about. But I right. love this idea that his initial reaction was, someone's looking at my work. Yeah. Is that, that's, so, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Actually, it was he was playing Zodiac, which is what became Astorat. It's the yes. same game. He yes, just changed yes. the name because uh, I think Zodiac was taken. I see. So that was so okay. So after we sort of covered his homework like that, does he? Uh, so what did you say? Oh, oh, hello. I'm I'm not a competitor. I'm looking for a job. What happened then? Uh, again, I don't. Re- I, if I told you details, I'd be lying. Uh, <laughs> I liked him immediately. I think he liked me, and um, you know, he could see that I was a young kid that I was not, you know, a spy from from some Mm -hmm. tech company. And uh, we just, we, the friendship began and uh, I was very interested in it. I was very eager. And I think I had, you know, as I said, a pretty good resume, a a pretty good knowledge of of the hardware and and how to, how to do assembly language program. And I joked about it before, but it's the truth. I came cheap at the time. uh, (laughs) I didn't, didn't ask for much money. I really just wanted to work there. I was a young kid. I could survive on little. And uh, he introduced me, Tim introduced me to a, another senior programmer there named Hal Dean. And oh, okay. Hal was older, uh, mm-hmm. but he, I, I liked Hal immediately too. And again, I think he, uh, I think he liked me and, and they hired me. Fantastic. Okay. So uh, you're hired in this, uh, this role. How did they actually explain the role to you? Did they say you're a programmer or you're a hardware person as well? How was the role sold to you? Yeah, I was uh, an assistant programmer, I think would be okay. the most accurate description. And it was, uh, I started off working for Hal primarily just drawing sprites. You know, you know how you animate, or at least you used to animate sprites. You'd have a bunch of little still pictures and you'd run through them to make the little guy talk, uh, run and jump and things like that. And so I worked on a bunch of those for Hal. And then I um, got into some sounds. I can't remember the sound oh. generating chip, but it was, but it was a, uh, it was a very basic chip. Again, it was one that you could specify the envelope of the the ping or the bong or whatever it was, and then you <laughs> could run through frequencies. And and again, I'm making this up, but you would load you <laughs> would load registers it. with all these different numbers, and the chip would make various sounds and. I basically experimented. It was great. It was a wonderful job, as you can imagine, for a young guy. It it sounds 
it sounds like yeah. I mean, this of course is at the beginning of uh, of, of the industry, and certainly the beginning of Century trying to set up their own in-house department. So, exactly. was it? A, yep. Give us a sense of what that was was like. Was it? Was everyone just kind of mucking in? You've just said you'd had a go at sound. You'll have a go at sprites. Was yeah. everyone sort of together? How did it work? It, it really did. Uh, Steve Zarzecki, you probably. Heard his name a few times. He was the hardware guy there, and he designed all this hardware from scratch. And then Tim and Hal Dean were the were the main software guys. They were it. Uh, there was me that uh, was a, a helper at first, and then they hired two other guys. I think after me both, um, who just again helped with whatever they needed doing. And the management was completely hands off. Uh, I I'm sure Hal and and Tim went and talked to them privately. But um, as far as what we did, I helped whoever needed help. And uh, okay. and it was it ran pretty well, surprisingly, <laughs> when I think about it now at this stage yeah. of my life. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, over here in the in the UK and Europe in general, we, we probably best know Century. Um, and by the way, we would have pronounced it Century, but thank you for correcting us there. Um, is that uh, is that they license games? Like right. a lot of our listeners will right. have played Gyrus, Track and Field, Phoenix, particularly. I remember that was the first right. Century exactly. one I played. Um, I just how, were you so were you aware that they were licensing games from elsewhere, and, and didn't that feel like almost competition for what for what you were trying to do in house? Not from my perspective, I. As you said, I mean, those were the first ones, Phoenix and Track and Field. Uh, they licensed them and made a lot of money on it. And they just, yeah. I think we're trying to develop an in-house uh, programming capability. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe for that reason, they, they were completely hands-off, as I said. But um, no, I never, you know what? I never even really thought about it. I, I guess I guess there was a sort of a personal competition to to get one of our games out there. Um, rather than making them license the next one. Um, but, oh, yeah. right. So yeah. it's kind of, look, we us local boys, we, we'll yeah. show these these Japanese coders what we can do. Was there a, was there a sense of nationalism at all, uh, I I'm going to say no. I, I don't, it's okay. not something I really thought about. Tim was a Tim was the lead guy. Hal had a bunch of, of games that, you know, did, did well. But I think mm -hmm. my impression was that Tim was the guy that everybody had their eyes on to be the be the one to rocket century, you know, to the, to the top. And especially with Azterac, when that came out, I think there was a, there was, you know, pretty high hopes and expectations for how Azterac. Yeah. yeah well, come, you, um, you've mentioned a lot of the fellow coders there, um, you, but you did allude to management. I mean, honestly, I met a few of the management guys when I got hired, as I remember it, um, they walked into R and D, which was down, uh, down the street, probably close to a mile from where the main offices were. At R and D and production were down in a separate thing. Uh, they, I saw them walk in, to my to my memory, and I wor worked there for probably about a year, two to three times during that entire time. They right. they, they completely <laughs> left us alone. I mean, how, again, Hal and I'm sure Steve Zarzecki as well, and and Tim would go down and talk to him and get direction, but they didn't generally come down and uh, be weren't, weren't hands on in R and D. Sure, anyway. sure, sure. Right, you really did have the the place to yourself. So it was to speak. wonderful. We had three or four okay. video games always across the front uh, entryway, like where I met Tim. Um, and, you know, they were for research. And I'm making the little air quotes thing now. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was wonderful. <laughs> we, we, they really left us alone. I, I enjoyed it. 
That does sound a fun, fun place. But I just wondered again, just coming back to the licensing bit, is that um, you know, they've got some young guys here making games. Did they ever get you to play some new game from Japan to kind of get your take on whether this was something worth licensing? Huh. Yeah, no, to be honest with you, I never be, even thought about that. They tested all the games. They tested Azurek, they tested Freddy Flames, they tested all of them. They would take them down to the local arcades and and try them out. Um, I don't know how the licensing worked. I don't know if they had you know the latitude to to test somebody else's game out or. If they I thought they any. might. I thought they might have asked you. You see, you personally, like, what do you think of this, Lee? But no, I understand. No, this the short answer to your question is no. They never. Did. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Um, Century is, I'm going to call it Century from now on. Um, Century's (laughs) kind of fortunes definitely sort of fluctuated. Um, Were you aware of at all of how the kind of business side was going? You were totally just four or five guys just making games. Again. Having a good time by the sound of it. was, Was Tim or the same guys I keep talking about, the leader guys, were they concerned with it? Maybe they were. I don't know. We didn't talk mm-hmm. about it. But again, I was 23. I wasn't worried if if, if they survived <laughs> or, or didn't survive. I was <laughs> I was getting experience. I was having a good time, and I was making enough money to pay the rent and and take my girlfriend out to to dinner every now and again. Well, how how romantic. Um, <laughs> are you going to tell us a little bit about the, the the partying then? I mean, this is Miami in the 80s. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we've we all seen Scarface. So how hard did you party at Century? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, some of that is kind of classified too, but sure, we did. In, in fact, uh, <laughs> one of the other guys that they hired later on, uh, and, and I, you know, another young guy with little experience was a guy named Mark Chiraboga. And okay. I don't know, can I say, I guess I, I, I already go, did. So go on. Uh, and yeah. Mark was in a band called the Gumbo Limbo Band and he was he was living life. And he was also Terry the Hippie. Uh, do you remember in, in Caddyshack? In Caddyshack, really? Right at the end. <laughs> yes. And he was also in the movie The Island. Uh, but wow! Uh, so you're coding games with a with, genuine movie star. With movie star. This, yeah, you are yeah, living yeah. the dream. And we would, That's you know, we, we would party quite a bit, and it was a, it was a good time. We were we were young and and uh, yeah, all the, all that goes with that. What, one last question then is that did did Century have their own? hot tub <laughs> uh no not to my knowledge uh, the execs might have had one up there hidden somewhere but uh, but we did not have one uh lee um uh you and i were, were introduced by tim striker's lovely wife christine um some time ago after i wrote a couple of articles relating to to tim and the development of the game which you mentioned earlier um as Trey, i just 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 wonder if if we could just talk briefly about your memories of uh, working with Tim at Century. He, he he kind of struck me as a very determined man and sort of similar similarly to you, he moved from the East Coast of America down to um, Miami to sort of seek fame and fortune. Um, and after talking with Tim's father, what struck me was that he had a real de- determination to to show the world what he was capable of doing. And um, uh, Tim's father kindly shared a couple of letters that he received from Tim just before he joined Century. And um, he's almost angry in those letters, kind of like, you know, I need this to, to, to sort of have a, have a chance to show the world what I can produce. And if that needs to be 
sort of via the medium of of video games then then so be it and mm. you know i'm 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 going to sort of you know grab the bull by the horns and 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 produce the the best possible game that i can i just just sort of wonder against that backdrop what what your first impressions of tim were as a 23 year old kid that's interesting you know i i could definitely see that letter that he would write it in that way mm. but i didn't obviously know anything about that um but you know, he didn't, he, he wasn't, a lot of times people who are very ambitious are kind of obnoxious about it. And I don't know, maybe, maybe others who were competing head to head kind of had that feeling for him, but I always thought he was a, he was brilliant. First of all, you know, he got me into physics. I was uh, studying computers and um, hardware and, and as well as software. And um, I remember he had a game called Grabber Goose. I, I so wish this game had been produced because it was one of the one of the coolest and yet very simple, simplest games you could you could make. Um, what was it called? It Grab was called a Goose. Grabber Goose, and it okay. was um, your each player had a triangle, uh, isosceles triangle. So it was a little bit shorter on the base than the than the two other sides, mm. and your control was just a single handle, like a joystick in an airplane kind of thing, but obviously a little short one as well as a throttle. It was very much like flying an airplane when I think about it. Um, and imagine now that you had a physical triangle, as I've described, with a with a post in it to control it up near the, the head of it, near the, near the point. So mm-hmm. as you swing it around, the tail end kind of follows, but then if you stop, it swings, the tail swings around. Can you picture what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, it didn't have a throttle. It had a button initially. And the button activated a uh, <laughs> a sucker, a magnet in your in your butt area uh, that could grab a ball that was bouncing around. So the ball bounced all around the screen, and sometimes the wind was moving to the right, sometimes it was moving to the left, sometimes the gravity was high, sometimes it was negative. Some, you know, all those different kind of scenarios, and you grab this ball by pushing the button and moving your little goose, and then you would kind of give it a little question mark shaped fling and let go of your button at the same time. And that's the way you fling the ball. Okay. And I loved it. I thought it was so cool. And it had so many aspects of physics. And I kept asking Tim, wow, how do you do the gravity? How do you do the wind? How do you do this? And it was all so simple. And I thought, ah, oh, physics is, is where I want to be at. Um, so sorry, a really long answer to a short question. I thought he was brilliant. Uh, certainly one of the smartest guys I ever met. Um, mm. but he didn't seem overly ambitious or, you know, like he wanted to, to, uh, take over the, well, not take over the world, obviously, but, but, uh, you know, be, be huge and famous, but, uh, but I can see where he would have had that, uh, aspiration to. It's interesting. You, you made the reference earlier to, um, century kind of placing clearly quite a heavy bet on Tim. Right. Um, I, I wonder how much pressure he felt having sort of talked his way into Century and then sort of finding himself as, you know, this is the guy that's going to, you know, sort of turn our fortunes around. Right. I I wish I could help you more with that. If he felt tremendous pressure, he didn't show it to me. He was, like I said, he was very, he was never stressed or short, you know, or anything like yeah. that. He was fun to work with. Uh, he, he would, as I recall, always take whatever time I needed to explain. Like I said, the physics are whatever mm-hmm. else uh, that I needed help with. And uh, so if he was feeling that pressure from management, he didn't show it to me anyway. Yeah, cool. It, it, I mean, it, it sounds like listening to your recollections of him, you, you 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 saw him very much more as a mentor rather than just a work colleague. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I think I've even said this before. I looked at him like an older brother. I mean, he was mm -hmm. really, uh, yeah, mentor is a good way to put it. He was he was very, uh, very helpful and I admired him and, uh, and I, you know, appreciated his friendship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it does sound like it. It, it it would be easy for some people to be intimidated by his, you know, clearly sort of, you know, deep intelligence, but you obviously warm to him. Yeah, I, I never felt. You know, it's funny. I, I guess the truth is um, intimidated. I don't know if that would describe it. I felt, uh, you know, maybe overshadowed by him later on when I started feeling uh, like I understood physics and, and various things mm. like that. We would have some uh, some deep discussions. And I can remember, um, and I've told this story to my wife a bunch of times because it was a formative thing for me. Um, he would, uh, we would get into differences and he would always be right. And I would get so frustrated and think he can't always be right. He can't always. And then I remember the day when uh, we were, and I wish I remember the subject we were talking about, but I beat him. I was right. And he was wrong. And I remember him saying, well, you know, obviously you've thought about that a lot more than I have. Uh, and in that way, kind of wrote it off. And and I felt, I think now that I think back on it, I felt a combination of, you know, disappointed that I didn't get the the big victory that I was looking for, but also impressed that he would say, well, you know, you win, you've thought about it more than me. But <laughs> but what wasn't said was all those other things he had thought about more than I had. So Yeah, it, it's, I, I have many conversations like that with, with Mrs. Temple on occasion, but <laughs> that's a whole other subject. Um, so, you know, uh, Tim, of course, is best known in arcade circles for his, um, I would describe it as a seminal title, Azterac. And, and having played Tim's very own Azterac cabinet um, down in Florida on a couple of occasions, I, I, I uh, don't say this lightly, but I genuinely think the game is a thing of beauty. It's very clever. And comparing it to other vector titles, it absolutely stands head and shoulders above anything else I've seen. Um, you would have liked Grabber Goose, also a vector game. Really cool. Okay. Really cool. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Do you, I just wonder if, if you can recollect how he approached programming of something like Azterac and, 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 and to, to just sort of game design. Did he did he just sort of go in and start writing or did he have a uh, sort of, you know, sort of plan be beforehand? I, again, I was never involved in his, cre in the creative process with him, but mm. from, from jobs that came on and the things he did, if, if he didn't have a, a serious plan before he got started, I would have been amazed. I, I would, yeah. I don't know firsthand, but I would tell you, I would bet you that he had, he planned them out well. He thought them through. He probably saw a lot of problems and uh, mm -hmm. long in advance, and worked his way around them before he ever, you know, started uh, typing. Yeah, sure. And so, how much of a hand did you have in Asterac, Lee? Very little, I want to say. By the like I said, by the time I joined Century, it was already, I think, in test on the arcade floors or very close to it. Okay. Um, so it was it was largely done. I I worked more with Hal. I, I think uh, um, I did break the glass with Tim, and there were some other things. So maybe I did some sounds for him. Um, mm -hmm. But he left he left Century after I'd been there for six or eight months, something like that. Okay. Um, so we only had that much overlap at Century. Yeah, sure. And what did you think of Asterac? Presumably you had a had a had a chance to 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 to, to play around with it. I loved it. I you know it's funny I hadn't thought about it much since those days. I I enjoyed it very much. 
Um, but <laughs> I'm again looking into my own psyche here, realizing that Tim was so good at it. He was, he was, you know, obviously it was his game. He'd been playing all along. Mm. He could kill on it. So uh, I guess I, I think now looking back on it again, long time in the past, uh, I probably gave up on being, you know, uh, one of the best on Azterac long or early on. And maybe <laughs> that's why I wasn't, you know, it wasn't my, one of my favorite games, but uh, I, I mm. thought it was great. And I was, as far as the programming and everything, I was very impressed with it. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a simple uh, game. Uh, it, it, it um, I don't know. I guess in those days I wanted a simpler game too. It seems like since then everything has gotten into uh, multi-level and, and uh, multiplayer and and all, um, and in that way it was it was beautiful, like you say. But uh, mm. yeah, do, do, do you have any thoughts on why Aztec wasn't the commercial success that perhaps um, S- Century hoped it would be? I don't know. Uh, no, I don't really have many feelings for that. You know, the, mm. my my first reaction would be that Century did a did a poor job of marketing it. But then again, they had Phoenix and track and field and all those so mm. i'm not sure who who knows who knows why yeah i think sort of timing was unfortunate wasn't it i mean is it, when was it released 83 thereabouts where you know things the the industry was genuinely going into something of a decline and i think as well by that time the vector technology probably had a pretty bad rap with arcade operators where you know the, the the sort of stories abound of vector titles turning up from Atari and being rolled out onto the arcade floor, plugged in, and then going pop. You know, there's the is that a fact? There, I, I didn't even know that. Yeah, so the, you know, I think the the reliability of the hardware—that's not to say Asterix hardware was any any worse or any better—but um, I wonder if by that stage operators have gone, yeah, you know, these vector games they they just don't stay alive for long enough. We're going to stick with you know. Um, a raster game, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe. Um, I would say in this case, your guess is much better than mine because, it, again, it's not something that I uh, looked into too deeply at the time. Lee, so you've been at uh, Century learning the ropes, if you like. You mentioned that you'd, you'd worked a little bit on Asterac, but also you'd said you'd worked with Hal. I wonder if any of the titles that you'd worked on with Hal ever got released i i don't think so i don't think they did i don't think anything from in-house r&d ever got to be anything uh you know okay. i think Astrak was probably the biggest thing that century ever produced in-house by a factor of <laughs> five at least okay well let's let's come back to the time when having you know served something of an apprenticeship is that you are allowed to work on a game yourself so tell us about your idea for freddy flames yeah um i think it was probably after tim had already left the company i'm not sure of that but yeah uh, you know i don't know i was gonna say maybe the company was in decline <laughs> maybe that's why they sent me loose but um they did <laughs> and um i uh, with mark chirobogus help i made my own sprites. It was a raster game. It was not an XY okay. game. Uh, yeah, yeah. And okay. um, we did all the sprites and all that kind of thing. And and it was just, I was going for simplicity as well. And what it was, was you were a fireman and you were running around this house, which was on fire. The flames were little, were little flames, little, um, very individual little fires that would move around, not like a fire, but like a little character, like a little monster. 
And then as they went, if you didn't kill them, they would grow. And then once they grew, they would split into two and then they would grow and so on and so forth. Um, and you had a downstairs and an upstairs and the scene didn't really change. And then the house had a bunch of broken pipes in it. Um, and you just, okay. you just got to accept the premise, I guess. And the pipes would drip down <laughs> and they would make little puddles, would then, which would then soak into the carpet and go away after a relatively short period of time. So it would drip, be a big puddle, smaller puddle, and then maybe three stages of puddle size, I guess. And then it would go away. Uh, and by running over to one of those puddles, your water, uh, your, ah, your fire extinguisher on your back would be I filled uh, a, wow. a proportional It sounds amount. like it. Well, I think it's a proto Super Mario Sunshine. Yeah, here. exactly. You've got you're years so, ahead of your time. So, are you going up and down? Money. Yeah, I should. Yeah, let's have a word with Miyamoto. What? He's always stealing things. Oh, well, actually, that's quite a nice link because was it a bit influenced by Donkey Kong? I mean, were you going up and down <sighs> ladders right, to go between the floors? You know, uh, I honestly, I'd never thought about it before, but I can't say it was not. When did Donkey Kong come out? It, it probably 81. was after Donkey yeah. Kong. So, so maybe, yeah. maybe Donkey it did have some flavor so, yeah. But yes. I see. So you it run up and down the just like that, what you're saying. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I love the I love the idea of firing like a, a fire extinguisher from your from your back. Did um tell us a few basic things then. First of all, were you coding this in assembler? Yeah. I, okay. I think I was on a Z80. I think I was using a, a Zilog. Okay. Uh, now, let's, I'm going to risk a technical question, yeah. Lee. So bear with us. Is that do you want to give give us and our listeners an idea of the of the sort of development system that we you were using to code? <sighs> and again, this is <laughs> this is going way back in the brain box, but it was all custom hardware that I think Steve had also designed the raster, but I'm not sure of that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it had um, RAM and you would program it into a ROM. Uh, you would program it on a, a little, who knows what uh, kind of computer it was in assembly language. Okay. And then you would burn uh, a, an erasable prom. prom, right. And um, you would test it that way. And we had emulators. So you could, if you yeah. had an emulator available, you could stick it in there and then you could make changes more quickly. Um, and yeah, just you knew all the addresses, all where the uh, where the memory for this, you know, what was displayed on the screen. And I think we must have had two alternative uh, screen memory things, and we switch back back and forth between them and load one while you were displaying the other, and, and vice versa. Um, right, right. I think that was you've, essentially it. You've given us a nice picture of development in those very early days. Yeah. So, um, did this game? Did it get completed? Lee? It did, and it went in, out into test uh, out in, on the you know video game floor. And I've got pictures right. of me out playing it there somewhere. Really? Um, but it didn't oh, get. My. It never went to production. Right. So this is going to be a really difficult question. Is that? I mean, <laughs> when you were playing it in house, did it seem fun? <laughs> Did you think this is good? I liked it. I thought it was good. You know, again, the, the water, you'd fill your tank and then you had, you could see how high the tank was filled. And when it was very full, the water would squirt out a long ways. And as it got down, uh, it wouldn't squirt as far. And it, I mean, it's a simple thing, but as you went up through the level, I had a bonus level in there. I cannot for the life of me remember what that entailed. <laughs> but as you went up, obviously you started with more fires and there were different colored fires that had different qualities to them i can't remember what they did if they climbed or, or spread more quickly 
But I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun game. I, I thought it was as fun as any other. Yeah, he's got a lot of interesting ideas going on there. And were you working on this totally alone, or were you collaborating with someone else, perhaps around the graphics or the sound, maybe? Yeah, again, the the, the details of it, the planning of it, the design was all me. But I think Mark Cherboga probably helped me with a lot of the sprites and perhaps some of the sounds. I'm not sure if he ever... Uh, did any of the sounds as well but it was mostly by myself because Hal at that point was developing one of his games and uh, he was kind enough to let me set me loose so oh, I, I could uh, work on my own so uh, he certainly wasn't helping me and I think okay. again I think Tim had already left the company at that point yes, so when you when, I'm loving this idea of you actually being in an arcade seeing a presumably a prototype right. machine of Freddy Flames did it have just because we <laughs> we do love a cabinet tail is that did did you have a marquee and have any artwork? Or was uh, it just kind of a play? I did. I did. I'll have to see if I can find those pictures. I'm sure I have them. If I, oh, that would I be bet Holly could find it right now. Um, and if I can find one, I'll snap a picture and send you an email of, of me standing by the... by the. That must be so wonderful. And when, when you watch people playing it, when you watch people playing it, did you... I just wonder what that <laughs> must feel like. Your work is finally out there right, right. in the real world. Tell us how that felt. Um, again, I... Ancient memory, I'll do the best I can to, to be accurate. Um, but I think that I was apprehensive, you know, I really wanted them to like it and to, uh, yeah, and, I, and I can remember vaguely, you know, wanting to explain this or that part to it. Uh, I don't remember all the ins and, ins and outs, but um, I, I do remember feeling proud, obviously, and happy to see people seem to enjoy it, um, but also apprehensive that they understood what it was. I remember... Sorry, but this is a great segue into Grabber Goose. Yeah, yeah, obviously go, a big go. Grabber Goose fan. But that's went out to the <laughs> arcades to test, and people couldn't get oh, it. Yeah. They couldn't understand how to control this thing and push the button to make it go. So Tim modified it so that now instead of a joystick that could go in any direction, you just had a forward and backward crank and a uh, a knob with a with a um, button on it, so that you could now just move the thing forward and backwards and turn it physically. And to me, it lost all of its charm when he did that, but that's what the public wanted uh, when they uh, tested it. That was the feedback they got. And so he went ahead and changed that cabinet. That's interesting. Were you not tempted then? If it go, I mean, normally when a game went out on test, that the whole idea was to see, ah, that bit's not quite working. It worked in the lab, right. but out in the arcade. So is there anything that you went, ah, I need to change how the water mechanism works or how far the water spurts from Freddy's hose? Once again, I think um, from what the best I can remember, I would say that, yes, I was certainly concerned with that kind of thing. And I'm, I, pro I don't remember if they kept me from talking to the people who were playing or... Uh, I can't remember specifically talking to any of them, so I have to assume they, they wanted me to leave people alone. Um, <laughs> but I also have a, a vague memory that Century was kind of um, uh, in close-down mode at that point. I felt like they, I saw the writing on the wall, and I think I was, I think I was getting ready to move on to the next. Um, that's that's mm -hmm. the sort of mindset yeah. that I remember having at the time. I, I can't remember if Hal was talking about leaving then, if Steve Zarzecki had already left, but I, we were closing yeah. down, I think. Yes, certainly the industry was in a steep decline. Hey, one one last question on, on Freddy Flames is that please tell us that you've got a dusty old floppy disk with the original code on. You know, I, I there was never a floppy disk with, with the code, but I did have proms around for a while. But after... <sighs> 
you know, 10 or 15 years of it. I never got the cabinet. I wish, I, I regret that I didn't just buy the whole thing. But again, I was a young guy making $5 an hour at the time or so. Uh, and I was moving around. I'd never lived in one place. So I elected not to get the cabinet. And after a while, those problems just kind of disappeared. And, and it is disappointing because there's nothing I would like better right now than to have a, a copy of Freddie Flames in my office to, to show off. Us too. We would love to play that. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I hope you would enjoy it. I, I it was, it was a, you know, a relative, a local high of, of my life up to that point, I would say, having produced Freddie Flames. So. Lee, you say you say Century was um, was in closed down mode. Um, you know, this presumably is why you were looking to leave the company around this time. I see. I think so. Yeah, I, I I think so. I think so. You know, I I thought about this the other day when when I was trying to remember back for this uh, interview, mm. and my next job, I went and followed Tim to his next job, uh, mm. and mm. I think that. Um, I think I would have stayed at Century for as long as, as the doors were open. So I don't remember, you know, quitting or being fired or, or anything like that. Mm. Um, so I have to assume that it just kind of withered on the vine and, and uh, yeah. And, and, ah, well, I, I was going to ask if it was a difficult decision to, to, to up sticks and walk away. But um, no. as you say, you don't, you don't remember one way or the other. No, I, I, <laughs> the, the next thing that Tim was working on, um, as soon as he told me about it, I, Again, I was very excited and I was eager to work on it. So I was uh, mm-hmm. ready to head out there. And But as you say, he was at that point, he was uh, kind of leapfrogging from from job to job. So I don't think he even stayed at that one very for very long after I got there. But you guys, you've heard about Fazul, I'm sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let Tony pick up on the Tim Striker thread. But I mean, before before I do, what's your what's your take? Uh, what are your memories, Lee, of the infamous video game crash of 1984? Do you have any abiding memories of that era? No, no. Did, you, you know, you were talking about that yeah, several times. Yeah. And be honest with you, I don't think I even noticed it. Uh, you mean that that suddenly the industry died? Well, yeah, I think this is a very a very Atari centric point of view. And we hmm. spoke to um, American Classic Arcade Museum proprietor Gary Vincent, and he um, basically told us when we spoke to him, he said they didn't really feel it. You know, everybody on the East Coast, you know, we we refer to this infamous video game crash as we uh, as we call it and it 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 was like a wave a very slow moving wave which started over in california but took a while to reach any arcades and even even some uh distributors and um designers and producers um and lots of people have said yeah well it didn't quite occur as it's been portrayed to portrayed as being i don't know if that if that chimes with you i you know i didn't Again, I didn't even know that occurred, to be honest mm. with you, up until this time. Yeah. I, I remember feeling disappointed with the type of video games that I was seeing coming out, like Track and Field, which was just, you know, beat on the buttons as as fast as you could kind of thing. And there was no skill or finesse, in my opinion. So I kind of got away from the cutting edge, the new video, worrying about what the new video games would be coming out. And I mean, I had my old standbys, uh, a Battle Zone and... A, and um, Gosh, there's some great games that I would love to get. Um, Burger, Burger, what was it called? Burger Time, Burger Time. Burger Time, um, uh, uh, Robotron. Those, those kind of games to me are just, that, that. those were great. Those were so that, simple games, but just they took a lot of skill, a lot of coordination, eye-hand coordination, and that's what I enjoyed the most. 
Yep, yep. Simple, streamlined, and effective, just like Azterac. Um, that's quite amusing that you you recall track and field as being that's perhaps your cutoff point. Whereas yeah. you know, you speak to a lot of people, a lot of kind of fellow arcade aficionados, and they were like, and they say, well, you know, when when the beat 'em up games came in, that's really when we turned off, and that's our kind of personal cutoff point into what's what's classic and what's what's into the 90s for example that's quite interesting i think track and field does require a certain amount of finesse it's certainly something (laughs) that i've not been able able to master that's that's for sure do you do you recall what became of century lee what's any memories along those not at all i i I don't know i i would i think if as i said i don't remember quitting or being fired so i i think right about the time i left they probably closed their doors and I think they licensed yep. games for I think they probably closed the R&D and product yeah, they couldn't have closed production could they um mm. and, but they closed R&D and I think they probably licensed a few more and then I, I lost interest entirely at that point and again, mm. Mm. I was not so so okay fine so I think the next question I ask is going to be pretty much um a roundup kind of thing that you've already covered I'm just going to as I'm speaking now, I'm, I'm imagining editing myself out. How do you, I mean, how do you feel today looking looking back at your time with Century? You mentioned at the top um, of the interview that this was a very small portion of your life, of course. I mean, w- w- is that how it feels? It definitely does now, at this point. But at, at this remove, yeah. Just as, I, as I told you, I mean, I feel like the way that computers have, have uh, developed, have, have evolved, Mm. that um, I am proud to have been there at the beginning and to know how it all came together and what's some of the Mm. little nuts and bolts down there. But it's, you know, like, uh, like a mechanic, um, you know, a a basic, uh, not even an engineer looking at, you know, a a CAD machine or something like that. It's just, it's so much more complicated now than it was then to even, even to write simple programs. And I've done a little bit, as I said, but, um, I don't know. Again, it's a thing that I kind of, I think I enjoyed was the fact that I was the only one. I mean, it, mm. <laughs> when's the last time a video game was produced by one guy and, and one other guy helping? You know, now there's teams of hundreds or, or thousands and they're spectacular games. I mean, Legend of Zelda and all, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a different time. It was an inter- interesting time and I was glad to be in it. Um, but it, it was just a small part. I went on to program some other things, but then I you know, flew fight fighters in the Air Force and went on to uh, other pretty interesting careers as well. So, yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, does it kind of feel like somebody else's dream at this point? Uh, no, I mean it's it's mine. But aside from you guys and you know, someday maybe grandkids who can't get away, I don't. It seems like <laughs> most people don't want to, aren't really interested very much, and and that's fine with me. I mean, again, I'm not I'm not looking for fame or anything like that. I am happy for myself to. Have, I've lived when I look back at the life I lived, it it blows my mind that that I was so lucky. And century, but hey, hold, hold, go, go century on, was a part of that. That's all. It was a, it was a really cool job, uh, you know, at a time in my life when yeah, it was it was fun. It was. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna close out my section without asking you about um, these aforementioned fighter jets. So come on, Maverick, <laughs> what 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 were you flying? What 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 metal were you flying around the sky? I flew. My first assignment was F4s, RF4s. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well the ones that, that are fly around Britain, I know you guys flew F4s, but then I went to F15 Strike Eagles uh, after that, and which uh, they have at, at Lincoln Heath and, uh, gosh, I think there's one other place there. Um, have, you, have, have, have you seen Combat, Lee? Uh, <laughs> I, I have, need to ask. 
200 hours of combat time, but that is not dogfighting. You know, by the time I I got in, I got operational in the RF4s in like 91. Uh, and I never deployed with the RF4s, but I, I then I flew uh, Wild Weasels, which is another uh, right, yeah, F4 yeah. variant. And I've deployed to Saudi Arabia and we were doing Southern Watch, which was, you know, oh, no, wow. nobody was flying against us. And it was a wild weasel so, mission, which was um, to kill surface-to-air missiles, uh, missile sites, yeah. and nobody would come up. You know, we were we were dominant at that point. Um, and yeah. then uh, I did Northern Watch in the F-15. And um, so the answer to your question is I have a couple hundred hours of combat time, but nobody actually ever fired at anger at me, and I never fired back. Do not fire until fired upon. Exactly, exactly. That's what I so you never hit the bla- you never hit the brakes, and n- nobody flew right live, by, right. and nothing of that nature. Live and let live. That's my that's my motto. Yeah, fair enough. And you could tell me everything else, but you'd have to kill me. Right. I'm going to hand you over to Tony to bring you back to video games. Sure. Um, as much as I like to talk about yeah. fighter jets. <laughs> Leah, just just wonder if if we could pick up the um, Tim Stryker thread um, again. Sure. So, um, can you remember at what point Tim left Century, and would do you think that would have been directly related to the sort of um, commercial failure of Astarac? Yeah. Uh, again, you're asking me things that I can't say I know for sure, but um, I would say yes that uh, if Astarac had had exploded and done really well worldwide then he, maybe he would have put out another one uh i think grab i'm sure grabber goose was after Astrak, and those are the only two games i remember him working on um but yeah. i think he as you said earlier i think he was looking for the next big thing and and we're going to talk about it but fazul was for the time was was brilliant it was phenomenal okay so so, so this this would have been tim's next venture after cent- century right and I tried to think of the name of the company, but I could not think of it. Um, but this is where he met Christine. She was working there, and uh, it was in Bay Harbor Islands in Miami. Okay. So was this Galacticom, or was or was that later? No, Galacticom was after. This was okay. uh, this was a Tim worked. I'm sure as a contractor, but he worked mm-hmm. for this company that was uh, that allowed it. I, I guess backed him, gave him the money to to produce Fazool and, and get it online. Okay. So what was Fazool? Fazool was the the internet before there was an internet. Uh, Fazool was wow. a, a text-driven adventure game that ran on a um, PC, but Tim had, and I don't ask me how he did this or any of the technicals, but he had clocked, he had, he had um, sped the, the processor clock up um, and attached... Um, a bunch of modem boards to it. I think he had eight at first and maybe it went up to 16. And so people would call in from a landline from a, you know, at the time you dial a number. And I remember I had a silent 700, uh, is that the name of it? Silent 700 Texas instrument um, terminal. And you would actually stick the receiver of the phone into the terminal. And then it would use the, it would sound like a fax machine with all those beeps and buzzes. Mm. And you would communicate that way. And it was a, uh, a fantastic game. And the premise was you were a spaceship captain who had crash landed on a foreign planet. And you had to walk around and explore and find alien technology is what it, what it was and figure out what it did and how to use it. 
And then once you had a bunch of these pieces of alien technology, you could fit certain ones together to make a higher level alien technology. And then on and on through several several levels like that. Uh, and I don't remember how, how much you could hold if it was unlimited, um, but they charged crackers to play this game. Your, your time clicked off uh, in crackers and you would buy the crackers and that's how they made their money. And you could trade crackers as well among other players. Um, but it was fantastic. It, I thought it was brilliant. First of all, him connecting all these um, modems to one computer. I don't know that that had been done up to that time. And then mm. make it operate faster so that it worked. And just everything, the parsing, you know, typing in what you wanted to do and, and it parsing that and figuring out uh, what you meant and what response to give. And then sure. giving that in, in text is... That's it's impressive to me, and this would have been mid mid eighties, right? Wow, eighty four, amazing. 85. So, um, so how, can you recall how you managed to join Tim in that venture? Did, did did he call you? Did you call him? Did I don't remember. I don't remember to be honest with you. I I was never out of touch with him. I'm I'm sure we stayed in touch, and and I mm -hmm. I guess I'd like to think that he said, "Hey, come on over and, and join me." Um, yeah, because it was largely and, already developed or deeply into development by the time I got there as well. Okay, and your role was similar to sort of Century at that point. Did, yeah, did you yeah, sort of come in as, out as the sort to, of junior? To I remember working on the on parsing sentences and you know figuring out which which part of it meant what and and rearranging them as need be to to interpret what they were saying. Yeah, it, I mean it sounds interesting in that. Obviously, its impact on the world wouldn't have been huge because obviously the the predominance of personal computing in the mid eighties was was um, relatively low. But it does sound like his work there did sort of pave the way to other well, things, including some including some of the things that Tim ultimately did with Galacticon. One of the big things about Fazul was that that we learned, and obviously Tim took note of, was that. There was all this alien technology, and there was one room. You, you could make a map as you walk east, walk north, and everything like that. You could make a map and figure out what where things were relative. And Tim left one room that you could not get to except by transporting yourself there. And the transporter was a very high-level alien technology. So it took people, I don't know, a month, two months, whatever, to get to that level of technology. And once mm. people started making their maps and figuring out there was a missing place and, okay, now I have to have a transport or transport in there. Um, and then in that room, you could say, let there be whatever alien technology you want. And it would suddenly appear for you. It was pretty cool. And what happened was people would gather in that room and just talk amongst themselves, just just BS, uh, you know, uh, like a early social network, like a early, uh, yeah, not Facebook, but you know, along those lines. Uh, to the point where Tim had planned his second game that he was going to make had Fazul taken off. Uh, he was going to call it Lounge Lizards, and it was going to be a bar in in, a, in effect with a bunch of rooms that you could go to and play text driven, but play various games uh, uh, skill and chance. And people would just hang out and BS with each other because that was clearly the the thing that they liked among the best of Fazul. So in that way, to me, it was really the the cutting edge of what became essentially the internet, uh, or at least a large part of it, you know, the, at least the, the social part of it, if not the informational part of it. 
Lee, I'm li- listening to this, absolutely fascinated. Can, just in the, when they were playing the game, could players were they interacting? Yeah, with each other. Yeah, that's the so whole thing. Talk, if you would walk into, sound, if you would walk, if you walked into a room, um, <laughs> it would say, "Okay, you just walked in to the room, and there's you know a picture on the wall. There's this and that, and Joe and Bill and and Paul and Tony are standing there, and there was a piece of alien technology." where if you used it, it would make everybody in the room drop all their items. Uh, and then you could go and grab those items. And yeah, people would have wars. They would, they would, um, they would, uh, uh, I can't think of the word, um, extort crackers from each other by saying, by going oh, around right. and roving gangs, they would go into rooms and say, everybody's got to give us five crackers or we're going to for schnork and zip your stuff away. And it was a trip. That sounds ingenious. It sounds. I mean, there was a thing called mod or multi-user dungeon that over here in the UK, okay. and we used to play where you could talk to each other. But I'm intrigued that you had ideas like in-game currency. You've just pointed exactly. out. Exactly. Like you say, you could trace lots of things that that you and Tim were starting, and and how they grew exponentially. So. Yeah, when he developed, figured out how to take the PC and open it up and clock it up, like I said, and attach. 16 modems he might have even got the 32 i'm not sure to it he realized that this and also the the realization that people love to sit and bs on you know in a, in a imaginary world that that he had created um and i think obviously that led directly to the the uh, bbs and and he what galacticom well i'm going to screw this up you should get somebody who knows better but i believe galacticom's major um product was a board that had eight or 16 or 32 modem uh, right. connections on it. And, yes, I think you're right. And the software to, to drive that. So I, I would say clearly that was a direct offshoot of what he was doing that uh, with Fazool or what he had to do to produce Fazool. Yeah. At that time, he was more of a, um, a sort of driver of that proposition as opposed to working for someone else and helping them out right. as he did it. Right. I, I would say, I don't, again, I don't know this for sure, but I, I would say that he had connections with whoever were the, were the venture capital folks at, mm. you know, at this company and went to them and said, hey, here's who I am. Everything we said about him, I mean, he had a, a physics degree from Brown University, he had pretty impressive credentials. He'd worked at Microcrane and developed some amazing things there. Um, and he said, hey, I want to do this. And they said, okay. Here's your place to work and here's the money and go to it. And I think he, I'm sure he took that to a logical uh, end, even though the lounge lizards never was produced. I think they probably said, well, we tried with Fazool, but that didn't really take off either. I mean, it did well for quite a while. Uh, And again, Mm. I enjoyed it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, But I think that it didn't have the commercial success they needed to, to continue to back him for the second project. And probably about the same time he was thinking, you know, I want to, have my own business and call the shots myself. Yeah, for sure. And um, Christine, um, Tim's wife, shared a copy of his book with me um, that I've yet to read, but I've got it here. He, I mean, it, 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 it was clear he was sort of thinking outside of the box from the products he was producing commercially. Um, and he was a big advocate of things like electronic democracy, which he called it at at the time, I mean, we, were you aware of, of sort of, you know, some of those sort of thought processes he was having? Oh, yeah. Actually, I got, if you look in the front of that book, I get a credit in there. He, he 
thanks the people that he, you know, talked talked these ideas over with, and I'm, a, I'm mm. among the folks that are in there. Um, so yeah, we we talked about we talked about all kinds of crazy physics and and philosophical ideas and things. And yeah, he was uh, he had some ideas that I think were brilliant. And geez, as time has shown, wouldn't it be wonderful if now you didn't have a, a Congress as we have? Yeah, my own personal opinion. But uh, mm. I, if if you get a chance to read the book, basically you have proxies and you kind of hire a proxy effectively. If I remember right, it's been a while since I since I read his ideas, but um, you hire a proxy and they vote for you unless you feel strongly about uh, the idea yourself. And then you bypass your proxy and you cast your own vote. And uh, I mean, this is this is in the 80s. He's uh, right. right. The, the book was probably published in the early late 80s, early 90s, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talking about these ideas, which I think are have have a lot of merit. I mean, I don't know if I agree. I don't think I agreed with all of them, but but some of them were very very good, obviously. Yeah, and and talking about this sort of time period, sort of early nineties now, but presumably by this time you were pursuing your um, career in with uh, with the Air Force, right? I, I joined um, the Air Force in eighty nine, early eighty nine. Sure, and so were you still in touch with uh, Tim during that time? I was. I was in touch. Yeah. We weren't as close. Um, he had a uh, an idea for investing uh, short in U.S. Treasury bonds, and I had we had very similar feelings on that. Uh, so he even uh, this is this is a yeah, that's a deep story. But he he took my money and uh, uh, to invest, and he was very kind about it. And then things went south, and he paid me back the money that that I invested. He's the kind of guy he was. Wow. Uh, and then he came over and he visited us visited us in Germany with the whole family in I think ninety three. Um, it was maybe a year or so before he died, mm-hmm. and that was obviously then the last time I saw him. But we were in we were in contact for the for the whole time. I would say, um, you know, uh, presumably Tim's um, you know very sad untimely death. I think in ninety six must have must have been a huge shock to you. It was, uh, yeah. Bet. Was it ninety six? You're right. I was. We were in Germany from ninety four to ninety six. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he, they must have been there in ninety five. Um, yeah, I had people. I've heard many people say after the fact that oh yes, they always knew that he was depressed and and had mm-hmm. these things. I had no inkling of of any of it. He seemed like a like a regular guy. He obviously had fallen on some hard times, and I remember him thinking, saying something that led me to believe that he took a lot of responsibility for the, for the failure of, of, um, well, I guess it was mainly the investment thing that I told you about that that didn't go as he thought and, uh, and a few other things. Yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, far be it from anybody to, um, uh, speculate, but you know, uh, Tim sort of strikes me from the outside in as as a, as a guy with a brilliant mind who was clearly a thinker, um, and 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 you know maybe with that sort of uh, genius you know that was it was it they say there's a thin line between genius and insanity that sure. you know m- maybe having that kind of mind comes with it some sort of trouble which could sort of brew up and you know if you're not able to keep a lid on it you know um uh certainly you know. certainly but what i'm saying is i didn't see it coming i i sure the question was was i shocked by it and the answer is yes absolutely i I think our mm-hmm. mutual friend Bob Stein, if I remember, was the one who told me. I, I think I was still in yeah, you're 96. It, it was probably right before I left Germany that I heard, and 
Yep. It was, it was shocking. And I, and, uh, you know, again, without being, being, uh, getting silly here, um, I miss them. I miss them all the time. I think about, uh, conversations that, that, uh, you know, political and philosophical, again, mostly conversations that I would love to bounce thoughts off of, off of Tim to hear what his inputs were because he did things, things through very deeply. And, uh, and that was, that was valuable, obviously. Uh, thank you, Lee. So, um, Lee, you uh, you spoke about your time with the Air Force. I, I just wonder what what occupies your your time these days. <laughs> well, before COVID, we were traveling a lot, um, and that, that's our primary thing. I retired from American Airlines so we could fly for almost nothing, uh, and we do. Um, but I also I do a lot of dirt biking. We just recently sold a, a home we had in Moab, Utah. Um, because prices were <laughs> crazy. Um, so I, I have several dirt bikes. I, uh, I enjoy diving. I am, uh, you know, I volunteer with the VA as a scubility buddy to get disabled folks in the water and diving. Um, I still fly, although it, it's funny with all the years of, and all the hours of flying I've got, I, I have to get my single engine, uh, certificate signal engine rating. So I've been working on that. I'd like to get that going. Um, so yeah, we stay fairly busy. I can, I, can I just come in here actually? I really need to say that as, um, as brilliant as Tim Stryker obviously was, I'm acutely aware that we've spent the majority of this show talking yeah. about somebody else. But mo- mostly I'm tickled that we've spent all this time talking about video games to a man who's flown phantoms yeah. and Strike Eagle fighter jets. No, I mean... <laughs> and, as you, and, and as you now just alluded to, you know, Boeing's and Airbus commercial jets, it's kind of like interviewing Steve Jobs, but only asking him about his garage. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that was the most interesting <laughs> thing about Steve Jobs. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Well, I... I... I was going to say um, what's been good about this chat, Lee, is, is is sort of twofold. Really, is is one you're you're an an unsung hero. Hero is probably a strong word, but 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 you are a bit part player in the video game industry. And- He's gone from hero to bit part player. <laughs> there must be a little <laughs> way. Build him up, we knock need- him down. Okay. <laughs> we need some editing here. But what I'm trying to say, <laughs> Lee, is, is sure. um, you're an eight bit hero. Oh, very good. Is the uh, pod? Is this podcast? It is all about talking to people like you who, good. you know, are not necessarily a big name, but have a story to tell. Right. But in addition to that, I sort of feel like we, we've got a two for one because we've, we've been able to, um, you know, shine a light on Tim. And I think, I think his game is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, uh, as tragic as Tim's story is, um, you know, clearly he um, had an influence on all of our lives. I think if you look at, you know, uh, some of the stuff he worked with, he worked on, especially after his time at um, Century. So, you know, from me, thanks so much for coming on and 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 um, uh, talking so candidly about your time and 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 also, you know, sharing some memories of uh, of uh, Tim with us. Yeah, I, I'm. Um, I hope I gave you enough to use and uh, that it's good stuff. I uh, I'm. You know, my life is, I'm the star of my life and I'm very proud of it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in those days uh, with the video games and whatnot, I was absolutely a supporting cast uh, to Tim. He was, and he was, you know, it it worked out really well. He was a great guy to know. And uh, I, I definitely profited, you know, personally from from spending so much time with them, but uh, well, our, our subtitle is we 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 talk to not only the leading lights but also the supporting cast. So you're you're just as important in our in our book. That's what I that's what I was trying to say. Lee, <laughs> thank you for giving us an insight 
into a company that we haven't spoken uh, on the podcast about before. So that was wonderful. And I'd just like to say that I want to play Freddie Flames and grab a goose. <laughs> and so if there's any, if you ever get a little sniff of someone who's got the uh, EPROMs of them, please give us a shout. We'd love to see your work after all these years. I, I will. And if you, you would do likewise, if I could, I, I really, I would love to play Freddie Flames, obviously. And I, that's my baby, but uh, Grammar Goose. I can't believe I, I really I, I hope I could do it justice if I uh, if I could program something like Grabber Goose, um, because what a, what a great concept that was. I thought I thought it was just brilliant. anyway, you know that. Uh, Lee, thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, it's taken us a while for, for us all to get together, but it's certainly been worth it. It's um, we really appreciate your time. Uh, my pleasure. I, I enjoyed it very much. Good talking to you guys as well. You've been listening to the Ted Dabney Experience Podcast with me, Richard May, Retro Gamer Magazine's Paul Drury, and arcade blogger, Tony Temple. The show was produced and edited by myself with a bespoke score and sound suite by Ghost of Wood. Additional technical support by Jason Arbor. Thank you.